Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio, where we'll talk about news, education, and opportunities for small businesses on the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street and in Washington, D.C. I'm Michelle Yancey. And I'm Kyle Todd. Welcome to Rhode Island Avenue Radio. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Rhode Island Avenue Radio, episode 35 today, 35. Um, Michelle, how you doing? Doing great. How about you? Pretty good, pretty good. Um, so we have got uh, a fantastic slate of guests today, including uh, a first for our show. We will have our very first PG themed section. Yes, um, PG-13 PG-13. Okay, all right. Fair yeah. enough. So um, <sighs> consider yourselves fairly warned. Uh, we'll, we'll give you a little bit more of a heads up when that guest arrives. Um, but you, you're going to want to stay tuned. That's all I'm going to say about that. Um, before we get going fully, I want to thank our sponsors, uh, the Department of Small and Local Business Development and the Department of Housing and Community Development. Uh, it is their grant money that allows us to record this show and bring you information about the businesses on Rhode Island Avenue and to bring business owners information for uh, making their their entrepreneurship thrive. Um, so uh, our first guest today um, is Cyril Crocker. Welcome, Cyril. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Cyril, you are um, a commercial real estate broker. Yes, I am. And you live here in, in Ward 5. You are a long-time resident of Ward 5. Yes, I am. You grew up here. I've been here uh, actually in the Brookland community for 55 years. Wow. Wow. So that makes you, what, 56? Uh, I moved here when I was 10. <laughs> <laughs> I, you were just supposed to go with a 56. I was <laughs> trying to hit you a softball there, but toss you a softball. Anyway, um, so, Cyril, we've asked you to join us today to talk about um, commercial real estate hunting. Um, you know, we have tons of new uh, business owners looking for, for real estate uh, locations in, in our neighborhood and across the district. And you have a, a long history as a, a commercial real estate broker in the area. You know it like the back of your hand. And um, we just we wanted to to talk to you about about what that means for hunting for for commercial real estate properties. Um, so first off, what is a commercial real estate broker, and how does that differ from your average real estate agent? A commercial real estate broker has an expertise uh, in an area other than basically homes or, or apartments. We deal with businesses. We deal with uh, investment properties uh, and become expert in that. It's a different type of negotiation. It's a different set of rules. Uh, thing I love about it is everything's negotiable. That's, that's kind of my <laughs> motto. Every, everything's negotiable. So... Uh, you, you you obviously work with commercial properties as a specialty, but it, it seems like you have a, a whole other skill set uh, in addition to that, which is um, investment funding uh, mm -hmm. for for properties, knowing knowing uh, the types of documents for for lack of information that that a business is going to have to bring to the table for, for their potential landlords, um, their financials and, and business plans, things like that. It seems, it seems like a much more in-depth 
knowledge base. Well, and and knowledge is the key. I mean, basically, with any professional, what you're selling is your expertise, uh, and there is a, a specific uh, level of expertise that you have to have in in several things to be a successful commercial real estate uh, broker. What I tell people, though, is do not expect your broker to, to do everything. It's very important for people to assemble a team when they're looking for commercial property. And that team would include an accountant, an attorney, because as a realtor, I'm not allowed to, to prepare or comment on legal documents. And, for example, a, a lease is a legal document. A lawyer needs to review a lease. Uh, the commercial broker can look at the uh the letter of intent, which outlines business terms, but a lease is a legal document. So you need an attorney, so you probably need an accountant to talk about the financial impacts on your business of any decisions that you make. Uh, one professional that people overlook a lot of times is, is an insurance person yeah. because every lease I've ever seen says that the landlord has to be named as a co-insured and you have to have X number of dollars of liability insurance. It's a good to cultivate a relationship with someone in the insurance industry, too. And, and obviously a banker if you're going to buy a building. Uh, yes. So I want to, to jump in and say Cyril has, has been teaching classes um, mm. through different organizations. You've, you've taught seminars uh, through D.C. Bar, uh, Washington Area Community Investment Foundation, a mm. couple of you – know, the seminars that happen to to help small businesses grow right, right? yes and 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 you you actually teach a seminar on what it, what are the what are the titles of those seminars basically it's uh how to find a home for your business because oh, nice. uh getting a a commercial property is something that people don't do every day and few have done with any amount of frequency so if you haven't done it in 10 years or you've never done it it can be daunting Almost everyone has had the experience with finding a place to live, mm. whether it be an apartment uh, or, or a single-family home, condo, whatever. And so I try to draw parallels between the process of finding a home and then finding a place for your business. And I just call it your business home. And then we do a seminar based on that. So with with the ubiquity of the Internet and and real estate sites like Zillow or LoopNet or, or even Craigslist, what, you know, the, the average business owner could, could find their own space. Um, what, what is the benefit to a business owner of working with a broker such as you? Well, as I said, one thing is that they haven't done that very often. It, it, hopefully they don't do it too many times at all unless their business is expanding uh, rapidly. A commercial broker does it all the time, so they're going to be more adept at it. The other is, is really perspective. Uh, I have a fiduciary responsibility to my clients to look out for their best interests. And what business owners themselves don't often realize is it's not really about the real estate. It's, a, it's about their business. The the real estate is just one more asset to support their core business. And so that's what I try to, to drive in them. You can't just say, um, I need 2,000 square feet, you know, find me that. They could go on LoopNet, and they could find lots of 2,000 square foot spaces. But what that's not going to tell them is, how does that support your core business? You're not in business to get, do real estate. You're in, in business to do something else. 
whether it's uh, sell groceries or run a dry cleaners or whatever. That's what you're about. And LoopNet's not going to tell you what's going to be the best asset to support that business. Yeah. That that makes perfect sense. It seems like it would be maybe a good starting point. In in for instance, comparing uh, comparing home searches. Mm-hmm. Um, I know when uh, Meryl and I were looking for our first home together, um, our real estate agent that we were working with said, "Well, um, you know, give me some examples of what you're looking for and some neighborhoods mm-hmm. that you're interested in." Mm-hmm. And so we we you know, made use of whatever, whatever residential real estate, um, freebie sites are out there, um, to, to give her, um, a ballpark of what we were looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, so I imagine that, that that might be helpful in a, in a certain sense to, Mm -hmm. to then come to you or, or another commercial broker and say, well, here are some of the properties that I've seen that I like, and and have that as a kind of a starting point for the conversation. What I do is try to actually back them up from that and say the real estate is the easy part. First thing I want to is tell me about your business. Tell me what you do. Tell me how many employees you have. How much inventory do you have? Tell me about your customers, the demographics. Uh, how did they get to be your customers? Where do they come from? How do they get to you? How do they access your services? Mm-hmm. When we know all that, then we can start making decisions about what real estate will help you to grow your business. Nice. That that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect sense. So if there were a, a handful of, of things that you tell every business owner or or pitfalls that you tell any business owner to watch out for or to – things to, to make sure that they include in, in their search criteria or mm-hmm. or in, in what they're looking for in, in, in a legal agreement. Yeah, I know you're not a lawyer, but <laughs> from, from the standpoint of, um, I know there's a couple of different types of, of leases. There's a triple net lease. There's a, a, a gross mm-hmm. lease. Um, what, what are some of the, I don't know, maybe top five things that, that businesses should, should keep in mind? Well, the first is is be prepared. Uh, give yourself plenty of time. The scariest thing for me is when someone says, uh, I need to find a place and I need to be in it in the next 30 days. Like, well, you really should have come to me about six months ago. All right. Uh, people have too often what I call a Burger King mentality. You know, you can have it your way and you can have it instantly. You know? <laughs> Sometimes the building that you're describing doesn't exist. When you say it has to be 3,000 square feet, and it has to have parking, and it's got to be within a quarter-mile radius of, of where I am now, and I need to have a, a metro station nearby and plenty of foot traffic. Say, For $10 a square foot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that's not there. Yeah. Uh, so, so be ready to be flexible. One of the key things is, is understanding your needs versus your wants. Uh, really determine what do I have to have in order to be a successful business versus what would I like to have. Uh, I always use the example of of hamburgers uh, because so many times people, parking is such a big issue. Everybody, this has for many years been a car-centric society. Everybody thinks they need to have parking. Oh, my employees drive to work, my customers drive. Maybe. And so I, I use McDonald's. 
Well, first it's Burger King. You must King be now. hungry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talking about hamburgers. Yeah. Yeah. Killing me. I'm yeah. hungry now. Okay. Uh, <laughs> McDonald's, when I was growing up, there was, a, there was a model. It was a standalone store, and it had a big parking lot, and everyone would drive there. And over the years, it went, their model went from we've sold millions of burgers to we've sold billions of burgers. They've been pretty successful. A few years ago, a place named Five Guys came along. And all the five guys stores three different burger yeah. references. Yeah. We're going to lunch so, after this. <laughs> so they were in the middle of a block, downtown, no parking whatsoever. No drive through. No drive through. <laughs> and they sold a whole lot of burgers. So my question is, if you're a burger place, do you have to have parking? Well maybe it depends on your business model. That's true of so many other businesses. They assume they need parking when they really don't. Now, can they find a place with parking? Absolutely. Are they going to pay for it? Absolutely. <laughs> so what's more important to you, having a, a lower rent or having parking? Mm-hmm. What's the need? Because you're not usually going to satisfy everything. Yeah. yeah. Sounds like a life lesson, the needs versus the wants. <laughs> it sounds like I need a hamburger. That's all you can think about me. now. Yeah, my, my brain is... I'm sorry I lost my line of questioning because I'm thinking about a Big Mac. Okay. The, the other thing that, that I always advise clients, uh, because I tend to, uh, by preference, uh, deal with, with smaller uh, entities and in neighborhoods, and budget is always an issue, I suggest that they try to find a transitional neighborhood, a neighborhood that, that's not there yet but is but is getting there mm-hmm. and will get there and that they can can grow along with uh and then if they're going to sign a lease sign the longest lease they can <laughs> <laughs> because they don't want to be there and help the neighborhood grow and then when it grows have their rent triple on them yeah. so say so find the transitional neighborhood and sign as long uh, as long a lease as, as you're comfortable with um the question is how do you how do you define a transitional neighborhood because any realtor or any landlord is going to say, oh, yeah, we're up and coming. They're all, oh, yeah, we're all up and coming. But how do you know? So I, I suggest look for evidence. And, there, and you can find evidence of a, of a neighborhood that's transitioning. One thing would be uh, government programs. For example, Great Street programs. If the government has decided to name something a Great Street, it's because they probably are going to put some investments into it. They're going to have some, some support for businesses along there. Uh, Main Street programs, good example. That's evidence of a neighborhood that's, that's moving in a positive direction, things like that. Uh, someone could have said for H Street, a streetcar. Streetcar is a great example of something that indicates that neighborhood is, is going to be doing something because unlike a bus route that can, that can change any time WMATA decides they're going to change it, once they put those rails in the ground, those things are going to run for quite a few years. So if you're a business, you can be sure that somebody's going to be going by your business for a long time. Yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. There was there's a, a ton of jokes about the streetcar. I was thinking yeah. the same thing. We'll just back away from that. But yes, yeah. I see. Yeah, I absolutely understand your point on that. Yeah. Um, so DC is is booming all over the place. Um, and it's, it's harder and harder to find good deals in DC for real estate. Um, 
what are some parts of, of the district that, that a, a startup business or a, a growing and evolving business can, can still find a deal? Uh, and, and that's why you, you look for a commercial broker. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are some areas, and this is this going to be very broad, but there are some areas that I think have a lot of potential and, and the rents haven't necessarily caught up with that potential in all of them, uh, although it, it's changing. Uh, one, I would say, would be Anacostia and, and the Martin Luther King Corridor mm-hmm. because with everything that's happening at St. Elizabeth's, there's going to be activity there. Right, right. Uh, but it's not had the best reputation for a long time, and so the rents are, are lower than you can get in other places. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's say I, I expect that's going to be changing soon, so this will be the time to get in there. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, the Rhode Island Avenue Corridor, I what? think, is, is, really? is a yes. great <laughs> example of a place uh, that that is still affordable, uh, but now would be the time to to be doing something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and other other parts of of the Ward Five community, Twelfth Street, is is the same way. Uh, those those are a couple of examples that come come to mind right away. I would say, and and this is this is less evident, but uh, Minnesota Avenue, also uh, with the development that's coming there, with the with the metro access, that. Uh, the the rents still don't reflect everything that's going to be there. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think you know um, there will always be deals to had. It's it's just you know the a scale thing, I mm-hmm. suppose. But um, so uh, we we've talked about some some hot tips for for locations. We've talked about some some good things to have under your belt. Uh, as a business owner, when you're looking to to get into a a space, um, what f- for those listeners that may be kind of new to the process, what is the difference between a triple net and a gross lease? It's basically uh, who pays for for what services. So there are going to be property taxes, there are going to be the utilities, there's going to be insurance. Uh, in a triple net, the, the the tenant pays for for all of those. Uh, so it, property taxes and everything. Yes. Uh, with a gross lease, the the owner, the landlord, pays for those expenses and just rolls it into the rent. So there's pluses and, and minuses to both, and it's it's pretty much a, a case by case basis. So in a in a triple net, um, you may sign a lease for I'm just going to make up a number, mm-hmm. uh, five thousand dollars a month. Um, but that does not include the property taxes. Does not include property taxes. It's not going to include the the electric bills. Not going. So those would be additional bills. Those are additional bills. Yes. And they, and a business owner needs to to build that into their budgeting, and and for improvements, even infrastructure stuff like the AC goes out. Mm -hmm. It's it's the business owner that's responsible for for getting that fixed it depends it's okay. that's not that's not necessarily a function of of triple net that's a function of what you've negotiated in the lease and that's gotcha. why i say everything is negotiable and one of the one of the lessons i try to to uh impart to my clients is negotiating good faith from the beginning you want to be building a really positive relationship with your landlord because you never know when you may have to turn around and ask for a favor from them right. um, 
And you want to try to uh, establish a win-win situation. And negotiations are important because you never know what's important to someone. Everyone thinks immediately of rent. Well, they want the rent to be high. I want the rent to be low. But maybe that's not what's important to the landlord. Maybe the landlord has a building that's been vacant for a long time, and maybe sometimes at 2 a.m. on a Friday night, people have been breaking in and vandalizing it. Uh And he just wants somebody in there, so that doesn't happen anymore. Um, Okay, well, maybe he'll he'll cut your break on the rent to, to get somebody in there. At the same time, Maybe maybe it's more important to the to the landlord to have a long term tenant, because they the last two tenants have have been in there for for two years and gone, and then he's had to pay commission again to it to an agent. He, it's it had to sit on the market for four months in between, yeah. and then he has to do build out all over again. So, ten years might sound really good to 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 the landlord. So I think this just really highlights the the value that. Um a commercial broker like you brings because you you've as you mentioned earlier in our discussion you've done the interview with the business owner and and you've gotten a sense about what they're looking for what they're capable of uh, as far as as far as agreements and and because particularly you know all of the property owners in the area um you you know what they're looking for and so you it just gives you the upper hand on making a good match. Well, I like to think that that's again what what I bring to the table is is my knowledge and my experience, and, and knowing people is part of that knowledge, and establishing relationships. I've I said, I lived here for a long time, so so people know me. I, I always tell a story of going to to a circus one time uh, with my daughter, and uh, we ran into the head of the PTA who was working security. So I said hi, and we chatted for a few minutes. And then we ran into someone that that had been a former client of mine, and they said hi. And it happened about three or four times. And when we walked out, she said, Dad, are you famous? (laughs) (laughs) I said, no, I'm not famous, but when you live somewhere as long as I have, people know you, and you know people. It was kind of funny. Well, um, I'm sure that – that people are going to want to get in touch with you, that business owners are going to want to get in touch with you after listening to this, uh, folks that are looking for, for their new space. Um, how are they going to do that? All right. Well, uh, my email is my name backwards, Crocker, C-R-O-C-K-E-R dot Cyril, C-Y-R-I-L at gmail.com. My phone number is 202-669-2155. And thank you very much for the free plug. <laughs> That's what we do. Um, so uh, thank you, Cyril, for this information and uh, for uh, business owners, entrepreneurs that are that are looking to to get some some space in the near future. Not only should you think about Rhode Island Avenue Main Street, uh, but give Cyril a call. Uh, he he really does have a lot of knowledge and expertise, and and he's just a nice guy. So why not why not work with somebody nice too? <laughs> well, thank you. I, I wasn't the PG, was I? No, no, I don't think so. No. Uh, if you were, that was pretty much a letdown. <laughs> You're the G-rated version. Uh, thank you, Cheryl, for being here today. Thank you for joining us. Thanks. Joining us now, we are joined by Danny Snyder of the Trick Box. Welcome, Danny. Thank you for having me. As Kyle stated earlier, this is our PG-13 version, so uh, this is an adult topic, <laughs> perhaps. Um, and you're here on Rhode Island Avenue, so um, 
I want to know what a uh, adult boutique is, and I understand <laughs> that uh, Trickbox has been called DC's premier fetish boutique. Uh-huh. <laughs> so tell That's us a right. little bit about that fetish wear and what it, is it exactly? Well, I mean, so an adult boutique. Um, in our case, I guess that can mean a lot of different things, but in our case, um, we are primarily a wearable fetish gear boutique. Um, by that, I mean uh, gear, uh, wearable gear that uh, sort of caters to the fetish lifestyle. And uh, that's kind of broad, but you know, so that would include things like leather uh, uh, and uh, so forth. Um, and then beyond that, we also have uh, a selection of what I like to call uh, BDSM accoutrements. So uh, lots of things that uh, you might uh, find handcuffs, rope and so forth. So that's what we do. Okay. Well, this sounds kind of out of the box, but it really is becoming a little more mainstream with certain TV shows like American Horror Story, books like Fifty Shades of Grey. This is kind of becoming more mainstream. Do you think that's kind of helped your business? Definitely. I, I think um, I've, <laughs> I've noticed uh, at, at Trickbox that we've seen a lot of uh, young couples coming in, and I think that's definitely... Uh, because of the uh, sort of uh, going mainstream, if you will, um, you know, sort of dabbling and coming in with questions. And I personally love that. I love, uh, you know, uh, creating an environment where people feel comfortable talking and asking questions. So, yeah, I, and I think that uh, has definitely uh, put some questions in a lot of folks' minds. So. I think so. I think so. I know when you first opened, you had uh, primarily items for men. Does your current inventory include things for women? Yeah, you know, we do... Um, we a lot of the wearable gear still is very. Uh, I like to call, I like to say it's um, masculine mm-hmm. in its focus. Right, um, right. But no, I know exactly what you mean. It, it is a lot of it is sort of geared uh, more towards men or masculine uh, sort of fetish. Um, that's still the case for the most part with the wearable gear. What we have done is um, we've expanded our uh, you know other items. Uh, and that's really, uh, I'm seeing a, a lot of demand for those things. And that's where we've really sort of focused uh, growing uh, things. You know, we do still carry uh, a good bit of wearable gear, um, but we've, we've really started uh, focusing on bringing in some really wonderful other items that, uh, you know, would appeal to uh, folks who are just sort of dabbling. And then, uh, you know, some items that really sort of cater to the, the connoisseur, so... So from the beginner to the expert, yes, it yes. Like. <laughs> so uh, with this being a boutique, do you all order limited quantities, or do you have things that are frequently or always in stock? We do. We uh, with with regard to the wearable gear, we tend to uh, you know we'll sort of bring in things. Things kind of you know move through. Uh, so we'll we'll sort of focus a little bit on say one area, uh, leather, uh, you know, lycra. Um, and we'll, we'll bring a good bit of that in, uh, and then we'll, you know, let that sort of go. Uh, and, but then we also maintain what I like to call our uh, permanent collection, which are the sort of, uh, you know, BDSM accoutrements that I was referring to, those kinds of things we try to keep around and really, uh, trying to source, uh, some real craftsmen, uh, for those types of things, uh, so that folks are, you know, we're, we're, get, we're putting out some really, uh, fantastic, unique stuff, not just your, you know, novelty kind of thing, so... And do you all have any specialty items, like maybe for a Mardi Gras, or I don't know if there's certain... You know, we actually, uh, we do, I'll tell you, what what we've learned um, is that uh, for whatever reason, <laughs> Halloween yes. uh, tends to 
be a huge draw for our store. I can um, that. Yeah, yeah. So, and that sort of lends itself. Obviously, fetish gear, uh, you know, can sort of play into that, and we we roll with that. You know, we've uh, we've learned uh, from a very good friend, Meryl Hooker, that uh, you know, yeah. when you find the opportunity, you roll, you go with yeah. it, and we've that definitely done like that. Meryl. <laughs> what does that mean, Kyle? Never mind. <laughs> That means that Meryl is an excellent marketing expert. Yes, yes. she is. Yes, she is. So yeah, we've we've learned to uh, you know to capitalize on uh, those types of things. And so there's a huge party that takes place every year in New York, which has just happened, I believe, a week or two ago, uh, the Black Party, which is enormous, and it's sort of. Typically with fetish gear uh, sort of events, they tend to be um, very focused or very broad. Um, and uh, the Black Party, for example, is sort of like, uh, you know, uh, freestyle. And that's fantastic because that's when I can really bring in some like really sort of different things and sort of cater to that creativity that... So this would be like a party that you go to and you could set up a vendor booth? No, I don't actually... I don't actually... <laughs> I haven't gotten to that place. Ah, okay. When the empire's built, uh-huh, I will. Uh-huh. Okay. All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I look forward to the day that I can uh, travel around and, and hit these shows because that's a great way. I mean, when they do happen locally, I make sure that I take advantage. Right. Um, there, there used to be a lot of events. Yeah, there are there are still quite a bit that things take, like that. Yep, 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 that do take place here in the city, and uh, you know, those I've, I've definitely been able to uh, get out to. Um, but uh, you know, something like the Black Party is just. The creativity, the level of creativity is insane. And so it's, uh, you know, it's unbelievable the kinds of stuff that I can bring in and it will actually sort of lend itself. As long as it's black, it right. works for the black party. Wow. And leather and rubber and <laughs> exactly. things like that. And that sounds like that's going to work. So how did you get involved in this type of business and how long have you been in it? <laughs> well, it's funny. It, it actually, um, I just kind of stumbled into it, I guess, um, my own uh, sort of uh, curiosity, kinky maybe? side of, you know, found me in uh, these types of stores. And I just happened to um, be in a situation where I was in need of a job desperately and wasn't getting uh, anywhere in my search and happened to be in one of these stores shopping and noticed they needed somebody and decided what the heck and just kind of went from there uh, and, uh, you know, rose through the the ranks, so to speak, and then decided, hey, I'm ready to do this on my own, you know, and uh, that's how I stumbled into it. And how long has uh, Trickbox been around? We are coming up on two years, actually. Two years here in Rhode Island. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, This is our our only location. Okay. uh, and, uh, yeah, in June, it will be two years. Wow. How did you decide to uh, open up here on the wonderful Rhode Island Avenue? Because uh, it's not the first place that you would think of for a store like this. But no, it's perfect it w- location. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I live very close by. So it's funny that I never really uh, initially, it you know, just didn't factor in. Um, but it, uh, you know, I started my search. Uh, I really wanted to end up over on H Street. Mm-hmm. But what I found um, in my search there was, you know, I, I just couldn't find the right fit. And I was pretty much, you know, uh, the prices had sort of gotten to a place right. where I kind was of what we were talking about earlier. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, yeah those, were, those were definitely hitting home, some of those points that were made. Um, but yeah, and so I just expanded my search. And one day walking the dogs, I happened to see a sign in the window of this particular location and contacted the uh, agent that I was working with at the time. 
uh, and uh, he, uh, you know, got in touch and, you know, bam, next thing you know, we're, we're there, we're here. So do you all have an online presence as well? We do. We have, uh, we have a, uh, our website, uh, which is, uh, you know, trickboxdc.com. And uh, we also are on Facebook and, and Twitter. Uh, we don't do any sort of sales, uh, you know, online. online yeah. uh, everything that we do is is in, in the, the store, store uh, brick and mortar, as they say. And the nice part about that is you can try on an item. Yes, this it, is really the. That's kind of important. This is what really is sort of at the core of you know Trickbox and what we uh, you know we decided. You know, there are a lot of uh, places where you can go and, and buy, um, you know, uh, things. Um, but, you know, uh, unfortunately, I think fetish gear, uh, wearable fetish gear is one of those things where, uh, you know, it's just uh, you have to try it on, you have to feel it. And, you know, we're talking about folks that have a very um, deep connection with these types of items. So they really want to see them and try them on and, you know, that sort of thing. Right, so. right. So do you have any special events coming up or anything in the next couple of months? Anything? Actually, well, the... Or weeks? Uh, we, we have, we're, we're sort of gearing up, you know, Pride is coming and that's yes. a big time of year for us. It's also, um, it's also our second year anniversary, which is uh, the middle of June uh, as well. So we'll be getting, uh, you know, gearing up for those events. Um, we're not, we're actually not planning planning uh, any sort of uh, a party this year for the store's anniversary, uh, we're, but we are uh, just going to uh, focus more on, um, uh, we're putting together workshops and things, uh, which okay. seem to be a big hit. Uh, we've done a, a few uh, gear-based workshops, um, also um, different types of uh, fetish play uh, workshops like rope play and, and things like that. So yeah, we have a few of those things going up on the calendar and uh, it, it's funny. It's like this is kind of the uh, you know the the lull before the uh, you know the, the storm, storm sort of opens yep. up, yeah, uh, and then just things start to roll into boom. You know, uh, the uh, the year just gets away from you. And so all of that will be listed on your website. Yes, can you give our listeners that website again and how they can find definitely. out more about Trickbox. Uh, on the website, we always post uh, all of our events, and that's um, www.trickboxdc.com. Uh, you'll you'll be able to find uh, any upcoming events, and um, we also will post those on Facebook, uh, which uh, D- uh, Trickbox DC on Facebook, and uh, yeah, that we try to uh, make sure uh, we let folks know when we're doing things like that. Wonderful. Well, listeners, if you are interested in finding out more about fetish gear, please go to the Trickbox, which is at twenty three hundred Rhode Island Avenue Northeast, number two hundred one, right above Zeke's Coffee Shop, and right next door to the Rhode Island Avenue Main Street office. Conveniently, <laughs> on, yes. your, on your way to Costco. Like That's I right. Say. That's right. <laughs> Danny, thanks so much for joining us and telling us about your business. Thank you guys for having me. Well, thanks for tuning in for another episode of RIA Radio. Um, just a quick reminder, we've got Porch Fest coming up on April 16th from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. You can check out all the details on our webpage, riamainstreet.org, or our Facebook page, RIA Main Street. Um, be sure and check that out. We've got some great bands lined up for the day, and uh, it has uh, just grown tremendously from last year. We're really excited about it. It's going to be hopefully knock on wood beautiful weather um and uh be sure and be sure and check out the rest of the events that we have planned for the year that's we're just getting started um so that's that's it for another episode michelle can't wait to have the porch fest and listen to all the great music i'm excited
All right. We'll see you guys next week. Thank you for tuning in. Thanks.